Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 20th episode of The Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael? Yeah? How much did you enjoy lifting all of my things over the weekend? <laughs> uh, it was a lot of work lifting all of your things over the weekend. My, I think it's my forearm that it's called, like the area between like my palm and my elbow is very sore from carrying things, but I'm glad we got you moved. I'm glad you're like 10 minutes away from me instead of across the city. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's nice. Good result. A lot of work, but a good result. That's fair. I didn't need you that, all that much help, to be honest with you. I could have picked up my dryer all by myself easily, but it was nice that you, you were there at least. Maybe the dryer, definitely not the washer. The washer thing the washer so was so heavy. I don't know why washing machines are so heavy. They just got to spin around water. What makes them so heavy? <laughs> I guess they need to have enough weight that they don't fall over from spinning, but I, I really don't know. That would make sense, actually, because you don't want to like wash a load of towels and then the heavy, wet towels fly your washing machine across the room. <laughs> that would be bad. Yeah, Misty agrees. She she's in hard agreement about that. Oh, I tried to I tried to close her in my room, and then Casey came out and let her out. So now she's just roaming, screaming as much as she wants. Cats will do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How about you? Did you enjoy lifting all of your heavy things and getting moved? No, I hate it. I am still not put together and I have a million things left to do. And it turns out that when you are already busy, moving makes you even busier and have even less free time. Who knew? Who knew? Moving sucks. You heard it here first. Yeah. But we got to look on the bright side of life because today's episode is about mental health. Yeah. And the reason why we're making this episode, I think I alluded to this at the end of the last episode, is... I received a lot of messages and comments uh, for the podcast prior to the one of Icelander taking over and Michael and I doing well, where I felt like I had, I think I said I like PTSD after Lil, and I just felt like I was going to hit my bad matchup over and over and over again, and questioning whether or not I even had like a future in competitive flesh and blood or if I was wasting my time. And a lot of people really resonated with that because I don't know if you know this, Michael, uh, outside of your personal experience, but it's not super common to just win every tournament you register in. I, I do know that. That's why I'm very appreciative. And I try to just not take anything for granted as I am having the results I'm having because it would be like, I don't think I'm, <laughs> I don't think I'm the best, uh, necessarily the best player in the world i don't even know if i'm the best player in the united states and for my results to be as good as they are even if i was the best player in the world which i'm not i don't want to like that's the conversation that's happening on twitter but i don't really want to weigh it a lot on that conversation i think like even if i was the best player in the world the results i've had are significantly above what would be expected even for someone that is better than anyone else in the game so i definitely understand that's not it's not expected to do well at an event, and I feel very fortunate that I've done as well as I have. But uh, going back to what you were saying, not, you can't win every tournament. <laughs> so it's pretty important to have a healthy mental state to kind of like get through the tournaments that don't go your way, right? Yeah, and I think even outside of tournament results, what was weighing on my mental health a lot too was just traveling. And that reason alone is why I'm not going to Worlds. I'm just very traveled out now. I'm ready to 
live in this house that I have now with my wife and, and baby and just hunker down here until the next round of flesh and blood events start kicking up again sometime in 2023. But I think it just goes to show that you need to have a good life around the game, first and foremost, before anything else can happen, obviously. You need to be able to comfortably uh make sure that you can take the time away from friends or family or work. You need to make sure that you can afford your tournament entries and things like that. And you should never register for a tournament and say things like, hmm, I need to cash in order to pay my rent because <laughs> that's just not a good spot to be in. Um, it's anecdote to that. I think Matt Fox alluded to a podcast he was on after he won the pro tour. And he said uh, he needed to borrow money for his entry from family and stuff like that. And he was in a pretty tight financial situation going into the pro tour before he won. And the like him or hate him, uh, I think Matt Fox is a pretty good guy. He just has made some very poor decisions, <laughs> obviously, over the course of his many years in trading card games. And I reached out to him afterwards and I was like, hey, uh, if you ever find yourself in that situation again, let me know. I, do I don't want you to feel like you can't afford cards or you're super pressured into something. And that's just because I I've been there before in my life where I know how much it hurts to want to do something, to have that drive to compete and play a game and see your friends and travel. Like It's all amazing stuff, but... If your life isn't whole around the game, the game isn't going to fix any of those problems. It's just not what it's designed to do. Yeah, and that's true about basically any hobby where like you need to have things straightened and in a good spot. And like hobbies are entertainment and they're fun and they're great, but there's a lot of things that kind of come before that, I guess, in life. Yeah, absolutely. And so being burnt out on traveling, going back to my story for why I was feeling so down in particular, sitting on an airplane sucks. It's always stressful not knowing, you know, where your next meal is going to be or what time zone you're in necessarily. Seeing, spending so much time away from your family is hard no matter what. Just being, hotels are just never an amazing place to stay because the pillows are never quite like your pillows in bed. So you're not getting the same quality of sleep you're used to. It's just a lot of small things that really add up that can be really draining in the long run. Yeah, for sure. And there are a lot of pros to traveling as well. You get to see a lot of people that you wouldn't get to see at home. You get to see cool things in the world. I definitely understand travel fatigue and it is something that I have definitely felt too, where I'm just like, I want to be home. I don't want to be traveling so much. I I don't know if you know this about me, but I really like being at my house. Same, dude. It's nice. It's nice being home. Yeah, we're both quite uh, introverted people in our personal lives and in the wild. It's, I guess that we can go into that too. It's it, Since Michael and I, and in particular myself, are, are pretty introverted people, it's quite draining for me to be in such large group areas like flesh and blood and i am super appreciative of everybody who ever wants to come up and say that they like the podcast or say anything really nice to michael and i and ultimately that's why i'm there to engage in so don't ever feel like my introversion would be a reason to not come up and say hi and, and connect with either michael i guess i shouldn't speak for michael he might hate you but uh i, I would never judge you for coming up and saying hi to me 
Yeah, I, I feel like in general, I'm pretty good at communicating what I need in my boundaries. So if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I love the podcast and I'm not really up for talking, I'll say thanks and I'll just move on or say I, I don't really have it a longer conversation in me, but I appreciate the compliment and then just move on. So yeah. again, feel free to say something to me too. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll shake your hand happily or give you a fist bump if that's what you prefer. Um, I, I want to know your name. I want to know stuff about you. Uh, parasocial relationships are weird in that regard, but uh, very appreciative of everybody listens to the cast so far. And I'm really happy that the podcast is being successful overall. But going back to my natural introversion, but as soon as the weekend's over, then I just like to sit alone. Uh, I think Sunday night, some people of the wolf pack or there were other opportunities for me to hang out and keep seeing people. And I chose to just hang out in my hotel room and play Hearthstone Battlegrounds for an hour or two <laughs> just to unwind and relax and just to have some quiet me time before going to bed or, or doing whatever, just because I just need that time to myself because that's just how my psyche operates. Yeah. So you talked about spending time by yourself when you need it. You talked about skipping worlds because you are burnout and need a break. Do you have any other uh, things that you do to help get through kind of like these longer events where you're away from home for so long? Uh, calling my wife, video chatting, seeing my baby. I don't do that a lot, but it definitely helps sometimes. And it's just not the same, obviously. So it can be kind of a double-edged sword at times as well, because it makes you wish you were there when you're not sometimes as well. But I think more often than not, it definitely helps. And I know you talk to your wife every night you're away from her. Yeah. She always makes time to talk to me and it's very sweet. Yeah, you two have a very cute relationship. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, that, that's definitely one of my big ones is making sure I talk to my wife every night. Talk to I, I reach out to some other people too if I just need. I want to talk to people at home. My dad calls me and checks how I'm doing sometimes. Yeah, where are you gonna? Do you have another one that you wanted to talk about too? It sounded like you were gonna say something else. I was, but I lost it. Oh no! Uh, but. I guess do you, do you, before I move on to my next point, though, do you have anything else, that any tips, any advice that I should be taking into? I, uh, smoking weed, lots of drugs, alcohol, um, anything else that I know Michael Hamilton 100% approves and does all the time? I, I think you kind of took my big one of calling home and just checking in with people that people that you miss or people that you are used to having around you as part of your life and not able to talk to because you're away. So I don't have any other big ones. Or any other thing else that comes to mind. So my next point, though, to, I guess, overall mental health, it's so especially for everybody in the wolf pack. And if you're taking this game seriously and want to compete at the highest level, it means you're putting in time. You're practicing. You're going to whether your local game store or getting together with your friends and you're drafting, collecting trying really hard. Maybe you also have your own team and teammates that you're trying to work together for and putting time in all together. And you'll see your teammates doing really well and that's really awesome. Or your friends doing really well and that's really awesome. And then if you're putting in all that effort and then not also seeing those results, it's really hard because you're just at least for me, I was kind of like, well then what am I doing here? You know, if you're practicing, practicing, practicing you know, like on the Wolfpack leading up to all these tournaments, we were playing one, two hours a day and then three, four, five hours on the weekends. <laughs> and then going and scrubbing all the events in Lil just made it almost feel like that was a waste of time. 
And I know like rationally that that's not the case. Like I can, I can say like, well, yeah, it was still worth it. And like, I helped other people do well and that my results don't necessarily a hundred percent reflect all the practice that I did, but emotionally it's tough to parse that out sometimes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So that's why to some degree you have to try to separate your results from your mental health. And I think it's one of the hardest things to do when you're so passionate about something, because I think that's one of the amazing things about this community is that everybody I encounter at like a calling or the pro tour or nationals or my local game store or whatever, everybody's really passionate about this game. They all really love flesh and blood. We have an amazing community. So if you're passionate about something and then really want something badly, it's always going to be a recipe for some level of disappointment whenever that doesn't work out. But really try and look at the bigger picture and realize that the game's only been out for a couple of years now. And it's only been, I actually, like I thought about it, five or six tournaments over the past year that I played in that had like meaningful big results. It was like a couple of callings, the Pro Tour Nationals and another calling. And maybe a battle harden the here or there, but that's still not a lot. And so that means there were only seven opportunities I even had to win a whole tournament. <laughs> uh-huh. And like, I guess the part of why that's significant is if you look at how many people are entering each of these tournaments, like there's several hundred and when several hundred people enter and only one person can win, you're just, your odds are not very good no matter what. It's just very hard and you have to get very lucky to win a tournament. Even like, even if you set your goal at top eight, that's still, if it's a 400 person tournament and eight people top eight, that's still only 2% of the field. And a lot of people put a lot of work into these tournaments. Like, yeah, you, you, you bring up practicing one or two hours every day and then four or five hours on the weekend. And other groups do that as well. Other people put in tons of tons of time too. So it's just, it can't really be directly correlated where like the amount of work you put in will tie into your results because as more and more people put in that much time, it's just like impossible for everybody to get the results out of the time they put it in, right? Yeah. And maybe that's something that we can talk about from like a broader perspective then for for as much as I was just giving praise to the community. One of the things that I don't like about how so far how the Flesh and Blood community is shaping up is the very similar thing to how the Magic the Gathering community was for a long time. And that's how much focus that is placed on the results and tournaments and to a certain extent i get it between elo and the casters wanting to create narratives and build up players over time and stuff like that but ultimately there are so many phenomenal players out there people who just fell one damage short somewhere along the line or lost one game and kept bubbling at like ninth or tenth and Ultimately, those couple of percentage points and these very small margins are what dictates these top eight results or winning tournaments. So placing such a large emphasis on the results for building those narratives is not something I'm the biggest fan of. Mm -hmm. And something you even said at the start of the conversation with like, who's the best flesh and blood player in the world? (laughs) I don't know. It could be somebody, a soldier who is fighting in Ukraine right now in the war that's going on over there. It could be somebody in uh, Cuba right now who 
just had to undergo a horrible hurricane. It could be somebody in and anywhere in the world undergoing any circumstances. The fact that you are even playing the game to be evaluated under that criteria already puts you in the highest percentage of lucky, amazing people who get to pl- play with these little pieces of rectangular cardboard or money and fun. It's like absurd when you think about it, really, right? Like there's so many things going on in the world and so many issues. And to even like try to stratify the luckiest people into then also who is the best quote unquote of those extremely lucky people feels absurd to me on some level. Yeah. Just like looking at it in the context of everything going on on the planet and you're like, yeah, we're sitting in a room playing card games. It's when you think about it in like the grand scheme of things, it's hard to not just appreciate the opportunity you have in your life to do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so who knows? Maybe you right now, the person listening to this, maybe you're just way better than Michael Hamilton. I don't know. Maybe you're just a little less lucky than Michael Hamilton because I can confirm. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Michael is a very lucky person. Watch him roll a dice sometime. You'll never see a result lower than five. I promise you. (laughs) That's not true. I have rolled my fair share of ones on scabskin leathers, and that's why I'm not a big brute player. I've never seen it. Well, that's because I don't play brute very often anymore. That happens though. You get you roll the die, you get a wad, you're like, dang, there goes my turn. Or there goes my sweet triple tomify and all Reinar deck that I thought would be the best thing ever, because you just roll your scab skins, get two action points, get to play your tome, and then instead you roll one and you lose your turn and you're like, oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> but I would not argue that I am I, I consider myself a very lucky person. And I think it'd be very kind of crazy not to with how well things have gone for me, I guess, in both flesh and blood and in my life. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Doesn't mean every die is going to roll a six, though. <laughs> I get my I ones, when I too. Now. I, said, I said at least a five. You can roll five sometimes. <laughs> I've seen you roll fives, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think placing less emphasis on the results of players, both from the community and internally on like an individual level will just lead to a healthier and better community overall, given how difficult it is to reach those accomplishments and how draining it can be when you don't hit those accomplishments. And that's not to say that every time you lose a tournament, you're just supposed to be like, Oh, well, Oh, well, I'm just still a happy, smiley person every, you know, every moment of every second in my life or whatever. It's just, getting to a point where the game is being an active detriment to your mental health is definitely never a situation you want to put yourself in. Yeah. This reminds me to a lesson that I learned from actually a Magic the Gathering podcast called Limited Resources. They they didn't invent the concept either, but that's where I learned it. It's just don't be too results-oriented. Just focus on the choices you made. And if you make the correct choice, then it doesn't matter what the outcome of the game is if you are making choices that you're happy with and you feel good about then like you can look at what actually happened and the end result was but i should have thought more about an example for this before i brought it up but it's well uh, even going back to flesh and blood now me playing prism and lil you know results oriented me hitting my worst matchup you know seven out of ten rounds or however many it was six out of ten you know 
obviously it's easy to say like, well, you should have played old time at that point, or you should have been on a different deck. But given that all my prep work was on Prism and I still, it still showed that it was a very powerful deck overall and still was putting up good results despite my performance with it. I was the deck that beat Michael Hamilton. So obviously it was the right deck for the tournament. I hope that's not how you choose your decks going forward since you're going to know what I'm playing every tournament. (laughs) No, um, I was definitely happy overall with the deck choice. I think Prism was just a busted character fundamentally. And I think she kind of demonstrated that over the entire time she was legal in Classic Instructed. And her even her bad matchups were winnable, uh, given like the proper skill disparity or deck configuration. So yeah, I just if Prism was legal today, I'd still yeah, play because she also beat up Icelander. And even I know we just talked about not being results oriented, but even if you look at like the results Prism put up over the weekend, she won the calling. She had two in the top eight of the Pro Tour, and ninth and tenth were also Prisms as well. It definitely seems like a very solid choice for that weekend, and I don't think it would have been. But it's hard to look at it and be like, yeah, Prism was the wrong choice for this tournament when her results were so good and her good matchups were so good and her bad matchups weren't really that bad. Like she was like slightly disadvantaged, but maybe a little more than slightly, but like not to the point where it wasn't overcomable. So I guess that kind of goes back to the point of your process of choosing Prism. If as long as you're like happy with the process you used to make the decision you made, regardless of how your results are, I think you should look back and be like, how did I play in these games? How did I get to that point? And think about like actual things that you control. You don't control your results. You control the decisions you make leading up to the tournament and during the tournament. And if you feel good about how you prepared and how you played and your results aren't good, then I think that's fine. And you should be happy that you did what you could and you did like what you should be happy with the things that you did well and you did correctly, regardless of what your results are. Yeah. A little bit of that, though, is kind of what I was saying at the beginning, though, where at the end of the day, when you feel like you made all the right decisions and you are confident in your process or whatever, and then you're not seeing those results, too, like, I think no matter what, it's just reasonable to be frustrated at that point. But it's just controlling that frustration and making sure that it doesn't get out of hand is what really matters most. And that's with anything in life. Like, you're going to have negative emotions, I think I kind of said this too, where you're not just going to be happy, smiley all the time, because if you are, you'd be insane for a whole host of other reasons. So it's just making sure that you have a yin and the yang. You know how much I love yin yang. Make sure you're you're balancing everything out. I got this stupid yin yang wolf shirt ready to go for worlds. Hell yeah. Ian just posted it. I'm so excited to see everybody in them. I'm going to be watching at home and watching everybody in their yin yang wolf shirts. And I'll be like, hell yeah. And then I guess the other side of that too, and if you aren't super happy with your preparation or aren't happy with how you played in the tournament, then that's also very valuable for another reason. Like everyone's human, you're going to make mistakes, but like we're also human and we can learn from our mistakes and not make them again. So hopefully when you do make mistakes or you aren't happy with your process, you can figure out how to improve it, figure out how to not make those same mistakes that you made before and just learn from it. Right. Yeah. And I guess we can talk about that then so whether it's a team or a friend or something like that making sure you're surrounding yourself with good positive people around you in your life never put yourself in a situation where you're just obviously around bad people who are who are dragging you down to their level and for a while in magic i I was also a solo grinder where i would just go by myself to any tournament that i possibly could for if it was just within like 
you know, a casual eight hours <laughs> uh-huh. of driving distance. Casual eight hours. <laughs> and uh, that wasn't very fun or fulfilling or good for my mental health in the long run either. But, uh, you know, hindsight yeah. being 2020. I think one thing that helped me a lot in Magic and it's also nice in Flesh and Blood, but Magic, when I wasn't doing the best at a lot of tournaments, I had some very close friends that I'd met through Magic and gotten pretty close to. And like, I feel like I have those friends also in Flesh and Blood, but Magic was like where it really stood out to me how like important it was to have people to talk to, to like bounce ideas off of. And then when you had a bad tournament, sometimes they had a good tournament and then like you could root, root for them and celebrate their victories as well. So like bad tournaments that or tournaments where your results aren't the best are made better by your friends doing really well. And if you all do bad together, then you can go have a go hang out and kind of like tell bad beat stories and kind of make lighter of it than if you're just like by yourself kind of, I think. Let's talk about bad beat stories then. What do you think of bad beat stories? What do you mean? What what do you mean? What do I think of bad beat stories? Do you tell bad beat stories? I do. Most of my bad beat stories are like, this happened and this happened and I made this play because of these reasons, but I should have done this instead. And I usually try to like, a lot of my bad beat stories, I'm like telling them because I feel like I had a good takeaway from it or a lesson I learned from it. And I want, uh, I guess I want to verbalize that and it helps me like process it and really internalize it when I tell the story. I don't think that just like one of my rounds at the Pro Tour, I felt like one of my Starva opponents, they hit kind of well and they kind of talked to me after it. And I don't think that's like super useful to like kind of just be like, yeah, they, they Starvoed X times or whatever, <laughs> or they drew the specific card that beat me. I think it's like, in my opinion, bad beat stories are this so-and-so bad thing happened and I could have done this differently to like mitigate how bad it would have been if it did happen. And even though it's not like super likely to happen, just like uh, learn from it, I guess. And I don't think it's, I think that's like both makes good conversation because they can be like, they can kind of be like, I actually agree with your original play. I think you're just being results oriented by thinking you should have done something else for this very niche scenario that could come up or they could be like yeah you could have played around it by doing this and this and it wouldn't have hurt you in the scenarios where they didn't have specific thing all all that to say i waffle go ahead all that to say i think it's also fine to just kind of complain about things going badly if that's really the mindset you're in i don't think it's a healthy mindset to be in for a long time and if you're constantly just feeling like you got unlucky at every tournament and you're unhappy about it then you should probably take a break or work on that. But if you just like need a minute, like, yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. My opponent, they were playing Kano and they flipped over random damage spell into blazing aether off their two blues. They pitched a Kano ability and it killed me. Then like, I think it's fine to just like put that out there and vent a little bit, but yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say about waffling? I waffle on whether or not I tell bad beat stories. Sometimes I do. And sometimes I just kind of say, "Mm, yeah, uh, I lost. What are you going to do? Or, the classic is if like if I'm doing really bad in a tournament and uh, I'll just go and mope by myself, you know, pick up on my introversion because I don't want my negativity to bring down the happiness of anybody else as they're winning. So uh, I'll just kind of go off on my own, kind of sort through my emotions and just kind of maybe put on like uh, some music or text my wife or just kind of do whatever that I need to do, just clear my mind in order to just like get over the negative feelings I'm experiencing at that time. But yeah, I think it just depends on like where I'm at in the tournament overall, whether or not like I'll talk about like a bad beat story, I guess. Yeah. That's another thing is like the 
timing of telling the stories. If you're like kind of hanging out afterwards at dinner or whatever, I feel like that's a more appropriate time to like tell your kind of sob story about your opponent doing getting very lucky or you getting very unlucky or whatever. It's kind of basically the same thing if you get lucky and your or you get unlucky and your opponent gets lucky. It's but anyway, I think like there is a time for it. If someone's celebrating a win, that's probably not their time to tell them your bad beat story or they're like very heavily thinking about what they could have done differently in a game, then that's probably not the time to tell the story. But I don't think like I think there are times that it's like appropriate to tell a bad beat story, I guess. Yeah. And then there's the actual handling of like your loss at the table or even wins as well. So just like making sure that you're always handling situations respectful because it's always hard when you lose because, you know, you wanted to win and you wanted the good result, but by nature of the game and competing, when you didn't get that result, your opponent might be thrilled. They just beat Michael Hamilton, the Michael Hamilton. They, they just beat them. And now Michael Hamilton's tilting off saying, I can't believe I lost. How could you top deck that card on first cycle? I can't believe it. I'm the better player. You know how he does when he loses. And you don't want to be like that. Sorry, this is a very serious <laughs> conversation, but I, I, I hope that is not how it comes across. But I, a lot of times when I lose a game, I try to be congratulatory to my opponent. Sometimes I'm like very in my head thinking about where my where things I did went wrong or what I could have done differently. But I think it's like you should let your opponent be happy that they won the game. You know, like you'd want to be happy if you won too. So, yeah. And one thing that it was weird, that I, I don't remember when this came up. Uh, but also in magic, there was a whole like good game gate or something like that. Like whether or not you should say good game after an opponent, because if you win and you're like good game, like you would think it's good because you won or it's, I don't, it was something along those lines. Like the winner should never say good game. The only the loser should say good game or something. I don't remember. Do you remember that? I, I do remember that being a pretty big conversation in magic. And I think my takeaway from that was just thanking my opponent for the game instead of saying good game i'm just like thanks for the game because yeah that's what I, that yeah i say the same thing regardless of the quality of the game you can appreciate that your opponent was there letting you play the game that you love playing it if you think about it if you didn't have any opponents you couldn't be going to tournaments to play the game they just wouldn't exist so i'm always like that's that's kind of what i do is i just like thank my opponent for being there thank them for the game like regardless of the outcome did you reach that by yourself or did I tell you to do that? Because that was always my go-to thing to say now too. Um, I don't know where I got it from. I was doing it back in magic. I think it was kind of like, I, th- I think it kind of came from the good game conversation was just like, instead of saying good game, just thank them for the game. And that just stuck with me from then. And it's especially something I try to say if I notice that my opponent's tilting off or taking a loss particularly hard, I just kind of let them be. I don't say very much. I don't try to like engage with them or talk about anything else. If like they're in a negative headspace, I don't want to like exacerbate anything or say the wrong thing. And I'll just kind of quietly put my things away and I'll just say, thank you very much for the game. And then I'll walk away. Um, and then the other thing I, I say, if it's like later in the round or something like that, uh, you don't say like good luck on the rest of the day or something like that. I just say like safe travels because obviously they had to travel some amount of different distance to get there, even if they just drove. 10 minutes away or something like that <laughs> sure that makes sense i i definitely have been saying good luck for the rest of the day but I, I i like that better just like wishing them a safe travel and a good rest of their weekend or whatever yeah because there's more to the game like the traveling that i'm sick of 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess that kind of talking about traveling. One thing that I think is also important is when you're traveling to these events, it can get very tiring. And earlier I alluded to the fact that there were pros to traveling as well as the cons. Just like try to appreciate the place that you're at. Like you're traveling probably or frequently a reasonable distance to play a card game and you get to see all these different places and eat eat all the foods and just be in a new space and it's not something that i am the biggest in general on just traveling as a whole i kind of really like my home and being home but it is cool to get to eat at different places and see different things and also hang out with a lot of the cool people that i don't live near that normally i don't i wouldn't get the opportunity to spend a lot of time with but like going to dinner with the wolf pack or hanging out with other friends that I've met from playing flesh and blood is always something that's really cool about the big events as well. So try to enjoy those things too, not just the game. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely really important. And then last but not least, obviously, if you are having, you know, severe mental health issues or despite everything we're doing with like this kind of like light, happy go lucky feel good you know make some friends and have a better attitude blah 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 (laughs) there are obviously very real reasons that you could still be feeling bad about you know life or anything like that outside of you know flesh and blood so if you're in a dark place you know and I, i really hope you're in a place also then to get help you know talk to a professional talk to friends or family about it make sure that you're not just holding those negative feelings inside of you. And that's kind of also why I brought them up on the podcast, because a lot of the time I even forget we're recording this podcast sometimes. I guess like (laughs) I know we're recording, but like I still just treat it as like Michael and Roger talking, hanging out, doing whatever kind of a deal. And so, you know, Michael's one of my best friends, is my best friend. And so if I just something's bothering me, I'm, I'm going to tell him about it. And if it's flesh and blood related, I'm going to I'm going to super tell him about it because, you know, my wife doesn't understand like, man, I was prism and all I got into was playing. Bro- you know, she doesn't- <laughs> <It's> like, <okay. laughs> she'll, li- she'll listen and be like, oh, I'm sorry, love. But like she doesn't like get it, get it, you know, and if she's listening, I love you very much, Angela. Uh, but yeah, so. Yeah, so talk to your friends, family, you know, if, if if only your, you know, cat will listen to you and just at least, like, get it off your chest. But, like, I also struggle with, like, actual, real, like, clinical depression, I guess, and have for a long time. Uh, I take antidepressants every day to help with that, and getting on antidepressants in my mid-20s was life-changing for me. It really helped enable me turning my life around and making uh, a lot better choices and, and getting myself to that positive headspace. So please, you know, don't feel like you can't or, or that's not an option. And it, it's one of those really awkward things, I guess, depression, because like in order to get the help, sometimes you kind of have to have some motivation to get the help. But depression is such a tricky and evil just like fucked up headspace where you're like, sometimes you can do like, I'm just not even worth it. Like, why should I even bother doing that? Like, even if I did this, like it won't even help or something like that. But like, like I've been in those headspaces before. I know what that's like. So uh, genuinely, uh, I don't want anybody to feel like that if there's an opportunity for them to not feel like that. So um, yeah, 
definitely get the help you need to, you know, manage those kinds of situations. Is that something you feel like people's friends can, they can, they should also like try to help support their friends in getting those things. Or like, like if you think your friend might be suffering from depression, should you like, what, what can you do as an outsider, I guess? Um, so I, th- I definitely think like if you're in a good spot and you feel like you're able to, you know, be that emotional support for somebody, uh, you should definitely do your best to try to do that. Obviously, it's one of those situations where if you're drowning or whatever, the emergency masks come down on your plane or whatever this is the metaphor I'm going for. You got to save yourself first in order to save anybody else or help somebody else. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like you're in a good spot and you care a lot about somebody, definitely, you know, like reach out, send them a text, call them, uh, offer to play a game with them, you know, do whatever. And just like, keep doing it. Don't do it like one, don't send them a text. And if they don't respond, you're like, oh, well, they didn't respond whatever. You know, I think it's pretty easy to just kind of like fall off of like those kind of communications and stuff like that. But uh, if somebody's like struggling, like mentally, like I think repeatedly and over time consistently showing that you care means so much more than just doing like a one-off big gesture or something like that one time, because it just makes a bigger overall impact on just like somebody's view on their life, realizing that like over time that like they've had this person like in their corner, supporting them, being there for them uh, could really help. At least like that's how I would personally feel about it. I guess I should say too. And, but everybody's situation is different, but I guess that's kind of like my general advice. Yeah. I, I would definitely agree about the recurring reaching out rather than one big grand thing. I think. Yeah. Don't just buy him a cake and be like, ha I cured the depression. I did it. I'm a good person. Pat myself on the back. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we start wrapping up this episode? Oh, if you feel like ultimately that you don't like competing anymore also, uh, or comp- competing is just an act of detriment on your like mental health, uh, you know, you can still be a part of this community. There's still other things you can do other than showing up and playing in the calling of uh, cosplay is taking off, you know, and if that's not your cup of tea, I think the PVE that's going to be coming out here soon, I imagine that's going to be a really big part of events here soon. And I know in magic, the side events and commander and stuff like that were like way more popular than the tournaments were. So don't feel like you have to compete or you have to be part of this grind in order to be part of the community because that's just not the case. And hopefully we can just have as many cool, awesome people we can overall in the community and not have to be focused about this constant focus on like competing in tournaments all the time. Yeah, that's a very good point. I'm also very excited for PVE. I have a lot of friends that I just... I should say a lot. I have a small group of friends that I just taught how to play Flesh and Blood last weekend, and I'm very excited to introduce PVE to them once that is a thing that exists. Um, also, jumping back to what you were saying about not feeling like you need to compete, um, I also think it's very good to like acknowledge when you need a break from the game and just like take some time off. And if you end up wanting to come back later, great. But just take some. T- if you're if you're not enjoying yourself at these events, you should not go for a little while and see how it feels and take some time and if you miss it if you want to come back if you miss the friends you made or 
want to see them again, then great. And you should come back, but definitely don't be afraid to like skip events or take some time to focus on other parts of your life. This is ultimately a game and a hobby and you should only do it if it's bringing you joy and making your life better. Does that mean you'll stop giving me shit about not going to Worlds then? Because I'm deciding to skipping event for my mental health? Yeah, I'm done giving you crap about not going to Worlds. I think it's fine. Thank you. I appreciate it. I pushed for a little while and then I'm like, I should, I should stop. So I also was trying to incentivize you too and you did not want to go. So it's cool. Do you feel like I gave you a lot of crap about it? Uh, I wasn't bothered about it until like you were like, maybe if we all wear Wolfpack shirts, he'll go. And I was like, mm, no. Okay. <laughs> I think that was today was the first time that it started bothering me. So that's also why it's the first time I'm saying something about it. So look at that. Good communication. Open discussion about feelings and communication. Yay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I've kept pushing and I will. It's okay. I get it. I appreciate you saying something. I would like it, traveling and hanging out with me too, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in Columbus in two weeks. That'll be, that'll be yeah, good. Or Friday night. And or, yeah, I'll see you before then, but that'll be the next time. I'll see you at a tournament. Any other time now that we live 10 minutes away or yeah. with some other event that I'm sure will happen sometime here soon. I'm sure they'll announce surprise New Zealand tournament sometime in January of 2023. And Michael Hamilton gets to bring one guest to, yeah. James White's Duelist Kingdom, and you get to collect star chips and battle on field bonus area <laughs> hologram technology. It's going to be sick, dude. If I'm going to New Zealand and I'm bringing one guest, it's Casey. I'm sorry. Unlucky. <laughs> she she really wants to go to New Zealand, and I would yeah, love to right. travel with her to something because, yeah. It's okay. I got first place on your Facebook appreciation post, so <laughs> I hold her one anyways. Uh-huh. Okay, anything else from your side of things, Michael? Nope, I'm ready to wrap things up. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Please don't hesitate to talk to somebody if you need to. And if you're comfortable with it, you can also reach out to Michael and I sometime or write a comment or whatever. Just make sure that you're not holding everything in and that you're you know, having a good headspace overall to keep playing this amazing game of flesh and blood. And when you are playing that amazing game of flesh and blood, always remember to mind your manners. Thanks for listening, everybody.